Welcome to the Sand Hills Media Ministry. We hope this production encourages and challenges you to live a more Christ-centered life. Hey, well, good morning. I am fresh back from Africa, and I had an amazing trip. Oh, my goodness. So for all my Swahili people out there, Buon Asafiwe. Buon Asafiwe. I, that's one of the phrases I learned over there. It means praise the Lord. And we went to a church. Uh, I was a couple of them while we were there. And the first thing anybody said when they were handed a microphone, Buon Asafiwe. I must have heard it 100 times if I heard it once. And, uh, but my wife and I got a chance to go over. We were with uh, Compassion International. Anybody here sponsor a Compassion Kid? All right, so for all those who've ever wondered, it's real. It is all real. The, your money that you're sending over, what they're doing with the kids, the local church, all in the name of Jesus, they are literally taking care of moms, kids. Uh, we heard testimonies from uh, women who just had babies, testimonies from kids in the program, testimonies from adults. Uh, it's all real. It's amazing. And um, when you invest in Compassion International, you literally help a kid uh, get at least one hot meal a day. They get their education, which isn't free. You have to pay for it. That's why poor people don't get educated, uh, at least where we were in Tanzania. Um, and then throughout the course of that, they get a couple of uh, school uniforms. Uh, but really, more than anything, you give them a shot at life that they wouldn't have otherwise. And uh, if anybody's ever wondered, like, is this really good? I mean, we saw everything from the kids themselves to the letters you write and how that all works out. It's amazing. So anyway, we had a great trip. We're probably going to do another Compassion Sunday here uh, before long. Just I was so inspired by that. And it makes such a legitimate difference. It's a great organization to be partnered with. Uh, and then, you know, I come back this morning and I see the community groups uh, sign-ups out there. And I just, I perused the community groups just to see what's going on. Like, I don't have time to do a group just by way of schedule. And I also lead a group. Uh, but there were some out there that, I mean, for me, I mean, I, I'm, I may be wired different than all y'all. Uh, the Tolkien and Theology Group. I mean, that's, that's just cool. Come on now. Uh, that's another one. Uh, another group called My Dear Wormwood, which if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, immediately you connect with that. Uh, so that, I thought that was great. Um, and then another one everybody should take, which I've done, uh, I've gone through myself, is Financial Peace University. And if you're like, oh, I don't know what that is, or I've thought about taking that, take it. Uh, I mean, there's, like, there's, only, there's a few things that will change your life. Of course, Jesus, absolutely. Learn how to get on a budget. That's the second thing that'll change your life and uh, it'll rock your world. So I encourage you to sign up for those. But all sorts of good groups out there. And of course, I would also make a plug for my own group. If you are mechanically inclined, we have a, uh, an auto shop that we work here at the sh uh, church called Good Samaritan Auto Care. If you know how to change oil, change spark plugs, things like that, we could use your help. Just talk to me or sign up for our group, Good Samaritan Auto Care. All right, well, let us jump into uh, our word today. So if you have your Bibles handy, if you have your phone handy, whatever, however you access the word of God, we are gonna be in the book of Mark today. We're starting a new chapter. We're in 14 forever. Today, we're gonna be in Mark 15. And so for those online, please join us. Good to have you guys with us this morning as well. And uh, we are at the last part of Jesus' life. And it's kind of interesting how we're doing this. And I forget who asked me this the other day. Maybe uh, Pastor Jack had asked me. Uh, but this idea of like, we're gonna finish all of this and then it's almost going to be time for Easter again. <laughs> so we'll have finished the whole talk about the resurrection. But, you know, the Bible has plenty to talk about. I'm sure we'll figure out something to talk about at Easter. But here we are at the end of Jesus' life. It's his final week, and now we're in the final days. Actually, even right now in the final moments. Pastor Chris talked to you last week uh, about the uh, arrest of Jesus in the garden, uh, the, the denial by Peter, the rooster crowing, and a little bit about how we can connect with that, identi identify with that. So now we're in the midst of the trials that are going on uh, in the life of Jesus. Now, if you take notes, like all the gospels talk about this. And so uh, a good book for you to buy, 
by the way, uh, would be something called a harmony of the Gospels. Uh, a harmony of the Gospels puts together uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John side by side and kind of tracks them uh, historically together so you can kind of read the passages that are together. If you'll do that, uh, one of the things you'll notice is that the book of John has a ton of details the other Gospels just kind of don't mention. And so if you're taking notes today, uh, John chapters 18 and 19 particularly will detail, give more details about what's going on behind the scenes in, in the trials and the uh, torture and the execution of Christ and ultimately the resurrection. Uh, but the theme today is nonsense that makes sense. Nonsense that makes sense. Um, I hope this will make sense. So the, the thing is about Jesus, and this makes sense to you. Like Jesus, for those who love him, makes sense. Like, I get it. I get the word of God. I understand a little about sin. I learned about holiness, you know. But if you're outside of Jesus, it doesn't make sense. Why do you do this? Why do you read this book? Why do you go to church? Why do you hang out with those people? Why do you not do the things you don't do? Or why do you do the things that you do? So, like, there's a lot of this that makes sense, doesn't make sense. It's the same kind of thing going on in the midst of this. And I, I think That'll make sense as we go forward. So there's kind of two trials happening right now. Uh, one of them we just finished. So that's what you talked about last week. So the Sanhedrin, religious leaders who are opposed to Jesus, they arrest Jesus. They give him kind of a fake mock trial in the middle of the night, which is all super shady, right? So they pull him aside and they condemn him and they condemn him for blasphemy. And they, they've wanted to kill Jesus, uh, but they had to do it when nobody was around. That's why they did it at night. And that's why they did the shady trial because they have to be able to condemn him without the crowds turning on them. And so they got him isolated. They knew his disciples wouldn't put up much of a fight. They showed up with a, uh, a, a group of soldiers anyway. Uh, but anyway, so they've arrested Jesus. They've, they've been mocking him, slapping him, uh, spitting on him. Uh, and they together, the Jewish people have, have said, he needs to die. So now, though, the problem is this. They have found him guilty according to Jewish law, but because the Romans are in charge, they can't do capital punishment. They can't kill people. And uh, there's a lot that they can do, but they can't kill people. And so now they've, they have to bring him to Pilate now because Pilate's in charge. He's the, uh, the Roman uh, governor of the area. And so for them to get permission to kill Jesus, he has to give approval. And so now they're going to bring, and they, they need Pilate to try him according to Roman law. But the problem is what they've condemned him for in Jewish law, the Romans don't have an equivalent for. So you can't go to the Romans and go, well, he blasphemed, you know, and they're going to be like, ah, we don't, we don't care. That's, that's a y'all thing. Uh, and so they have to come up with another charge that will get Jesus guilty enough that he can be killed. So that's what's going on here. But, but at the end of the day, the Jewish leaders, they don't care about Jesus and the Romans don't care about Jesus. Like nobody, nobody cares about Jesus in the midst of this. He's, he's just this guy that it's going to be more convenient if he's dead at the end of, for, for both of them. So, the, but this whole idea is I was thinking about this and I was thinking about, you know, like not much in my opinion has changed about when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is still pretty divisive or just dismissed by culture today. Um, and that's something that really grieves me. It is, it, when you read this story, it's just, it's just sad. It is just sad. When you look at what he did, what he came to do and all the stuff that he did in the course of his life, like what did he do wrong? Has he come to heal people, love people, teach people about the word of God? Now, he did challenge people, and that's what people hate. That's what people, and here's the thing. If you're a Christian in today's world, and you ever bring up the word of God that is counter to how people want to act and believe, they're gonna turn on you as well, right? Because there's this way of what we would call the world. When the Bible talks about the world, it doesn't mean just where we live, right? So when the Bible talks about the world, it talks about the, this idea that there's a group of people who live by a set of values that aren't God's values. 
And when you as a Christian adhere to the values of God, it automatically puts you contrary to the ways of the world. That is the way everybody else lives apart from Christ. And, and even one of the sad things too that I've noticed, and you've seen this too, I'm sure, there are even some churches beginning to live and operate in the way of the world and, and turning from the word of God. And, uh, and they, maybe they think it'll get them more people or, or, or maybe they're standing in judgment against the word of God themselves. I know this is just a disaster. Um, now I even saw it on TV the other day. We were watching a TV show the other day. We like murder mystery shows. We started watching this new one that's out. And of course, the crazy killer in this murder mystery show is quoting the Bible all the time while he's doing all these horrible things. And uh, there's two things that bothered me. One is the crazy killer was the religious one. Second is he totally was handling scripture out of context. And I'm like, you know, if you could just at least quote it right, if you're going to do like get the words right and use it in context if you're going to be killing people. But he didn't do anything right. So it was all horrible. Um, anyway, so here we are. And now Mark is writing this. And of course, Mark is Peter's disciple. And so he's giving the words of Peter to us. But here's something you have to understand too, that when he's talking about all of this, and he is going to talk about uh, the difficulties that come with Jesus being arrested, with Jesus being tried, but when his readers would have read this, like when this came out and it began to be distributed to the churches, they too were under Roman rule. And all this stuff that happened to Jesus very likely could happen to you and me if we'd been there during that time. And so when they read this, there was no lightheartedness about this. They read this and it was, it was deathly serious because you too would have to decide if you're gonna stand for your faith and perhaps suffer imprisonment or, or worse, or if you would just kind of go the way of the world and stay silent about what you really believed. And so this is something they're wrestling with. Jesus said in Mark 13, 9, as he was warning the people, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. So this warning that Jesus gives was this idea that, that listen, the world, biblically speaking, the, the contrary part that doesn't follow the Lord, the world will turn on you. And I, I would just remind you today, if you haven't noticed already, if you stand for the Lord, the world will turn on you, even in this world today. And so here's something else too. We get tried today. We get arrested today, so to speak, but it's really in the court of public opinion. That's where it happens. And you know if, especially my social media friends, if you've ever posted on social media your love of Jesus or something about the, like, you know people turn on you. If you've ever tried to challenge somebody by the, the way they live, like, you know, that's not what God would want for you. They're going to turn on you. We're going to do a series coming up in March that deals with something going on in our culture today. And we're going to talk uh, about gender and roles for the month of March. Uh, I guarantee you, if this went out to the world, uh, we would be canceled <laughs> as soon as possible. So you'll want to be here in March, by the way. We're going to have some fun with that. Uh, anyway, so this idea of, of this going on. Okay, so this makes sense. It all makes sense from another point of view. Not to our point of view, another point of view. It makes sense what they're doing to Jesus. So go to verse 1 now in Mark chapter 15. So it says, and as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and the scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. Um, so what we've had is we've had this super shady trial happening at uh, the residence of Caiaphas, uh, high priest, and Annas was invo involved in this as well. And so the, these guys have conspired with a small group of people, representative of the Sanhedrin, which is the, the religious Supreme Court, and they have brought Jesus, tried him, condemned him, convicted him. Now they go find the rest of their boys. So the rest of the Sanhedrin, they gather them together and go, hey, let you know, we arrested Jesus last night. We've already tried him. We've already condemned him, you know, blah, blah, blah. All right, so let's get him now over to Pilate so Pilate can judge. 
touch him. And so now they're going to rush over to Pilate like first thing in the morning. Now, it's, it's, I don't, this is one of those things in Scripture you might, it's just a detail thrown in there, but you might not think about it. The first thing in the morning was important, it turns out, because that's how they handle court cases. First come, first serve. That's how that works. And so they're trying to sneak Jesus in so he can be judged and condemned and executed so they can get on with their days and the celebration of Passover, right? So this is why they're trying to get there first thing in the morning and trying to get Pilate. And I guess Pilate will take off in the afternoon. I don't know how it works. Maybe a long lunch break. Um, but anyway, so Rome, and in this point, Rome was content to allow the various provinces that they governed to kind of take care of themselves, you know? But there were just the one thing they couldn't do was they couldn't kill people. That was the thing the Romans were like, no, if it comes to capital punishment, we got we to gotta sign off on it or you can't do it. So this is why they've got to get him there. This is why they need him uh, to be condemned. Um, but here's something you need to know in the midst of all of this. Pontius Pilate, who was the regional ruler, hated the Jews. He, he just hated the Jews. Now you can imagine, like if you have, like if our, if our governor, if our president was like, I hate Americans. I just hate, like, you're like, that's gonna be rough. You know, like, and that's, that's how it was. He hated them. And they hated him. So it was a lose-lose situation. Like everybody hated everybody. But they need him to do this for them. So they're bringing him here and they're gonna try and get him to do this. Now here's another thing. The problem with the Jewish people is they did not submit well. They did not submit well, and they were rowdy, and they would riot. And there's been a bunch of riots while Pilate's been in control. And so Rome is breathing down his neck, like, you need to keep those Jews quiet. And, and Pilate's like, I'm doing the best I can. And they've really kind of communicated to him, you screw up one more time, and you're going to be in trouble. Your head's on the line. So Pilate is already, you need, this is a backstory. Pilate's already kind of in trouble with Rome and the Jews. Like, he hates the Jews. The Jews hate him. He can't keep them quiet. They keep rioting and having these uprisings, and Rome is breathing down his neck. And I don't know if you remember much about the time of Rome, if you haven't seen enough movies. They don't put up with people they don't like for very long. After a while, they just cut your head off and move on, right? That's how it works. And in fact, they cut each other's heads off. Like, you'll kill your own family. So it was a messed up world. So this is where Pilate's, you need to know that as part of the backstory. Uh, Rome has no category for blasphemy, so <laughs> they have to figure out some other way to try Jesus. And, uh, but if they, can find, if, if they can find a way to get Jesus guilty of high treason, that is a threat against Rome, then it works. That's what we need. So we just need Jesus to be a threat against Rome in some way. Uh, and so that's what the Jewish leaders have to present to Pilate to get him to sign off on it. All right, so let's go to verse 2. Verse 2. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? All right, pause there for a second. So Pilate has already gotten a heads up. So they've come to him, they're trying to figure it out, but one of the things they think will stick is he said that he's the king of the Jews, or people have acknowledged that he's the king of the Jews. Now, I mean, that's what Messiah means. Messiah means you're the anointed one by God to lead, and he is the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. And so that's the claim. Well, okay, if, if that's real, if he's really saying he's the king of the Jews, and from a Roman perspective, not from what Jesus actually came to do, but from a Roman perspective, if, if you're, wait, are you saying you're the king? Does that mean you're gonna gather together a people? You're gonna gather together an army? You're going to defend yourself. You're going to stand up against Rome. Now we have a problem. That's high treason. High treason, capital punishment. All right? So this is why they bring... Hey, and you know, here's the thing. Pilate has to know a little bit about Jesus. And they're like, this guy says he's the king of the Jews. You know, Pilate's like, he's not the king of the... Like, he's, not, he's not raising an army. He's not, you know, he's not doing any of this stuff. But So when you hear this, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate's already got a heads up of the charge that's against him. And so Jesus answers him, you have said so. Which, you know, just wondering what all's going on there. 
But we're going to get more of this. So if you went to John chapter 18, we'll put it up here for you. John 18, 33 through 35, you get a little more of the conversation that John records. So Pilate enters his headquarters again, calls Jesus to him, and, and then he asks, are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus answers, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Which now Jesus is doing what he does, where he begins to mess with your heart and your mind a little bit, right? Because he knows the deeper stuff. So he's starting to mess with Pilate a little bit. There's more backstory to Pilate. There's more that went on in this scene. Let me just encourage you to read the other gospels because there's stuff I'm leaving out of here that is rich and awesome and especially a a dream from his wife and all this kind of stuff. So all right. So Pilate answers. uh, (laughs) Okay, first of all are you the king of the Jews? And you're like, oh, did you say that? Somebody else said that? And then his response. Now, the problem when you read scripture is you can have kind of one voice and I bet you don't do good with inflection in your voice. Like you don't, you're not very in tone. When you're like, Pilate's gonna have some attitude when he responds here. So you gotta picture it with that. So when Jesus is like, do you say that and others say that about me? And Pilate's gonna be like, what am I, a Jew? Come on, your own people delivered you over to me. What did you do? Right? I mean, there's going to be this whole, like, who are you to challenge me? I'm not in your world. I don't even like you. I hate all y'all. And now you've riled up the Jews, which I got to be honest, I love. <laughs> I love it. They hate you. You've done something to them. What did you do? Because I think it's great. Uh, I, but I don't like you, but I don't like them either. So that if you've made them mad, you're already on my good side. And so that's, that's a part of going on here. Jesus has riled up the religious leaders who lead the people that Pilate hates. So he hates the leaders. He hates the Jews. This dude has riled him up. He's like, look, Jesus, I don't know you, but I already kind of like you. I can already kind of dig you, which explains a little bit of why he responds as he does during all the trial stuff. He seems to have a very positive demeanor towards Jesus in the midst of all of this. And so let's go forward a little bit more in the story, starting in verse three. So, and the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate asked him again, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answers so that Pilate was amazed. So again, they come out. Now this is all happening like chaotically, right? This is how they would do their trials. And so there's Pilate, there's Jesus, stand out there in front of the crowd. And the, and the elders and the leaders are like, he did this and he said this. And people are getting crazy out there. They're like throwing all these accusations and Jesus is just staying quiet. Now here's, here's the thing, Pilate is not used to that. You wouldn't do that. If, if people started, if they pulled you in front of a group of people and they're all shouting, you did this and you did that and you know they're all lying, like you'd be losing your mind. I didn't do that. They didn't say, I don't know what they're saying. So Pilate doesn't know what to do with a guy who's just standing there and taking it. And Pilate knows this stuff's made up. The only reason they're throwing all these charges is they're just trying to find something that'll stick. And so they're like, well, okay, what are the things that can get somebody killed? Well, what about this? Trial? Okay, well, let's just say he did those things. And so they're just throwing everything. He did this, he did that, he did that. So Pilate's like, okay. Like he knows they're all lying at this point, but this is just chaos. But here's another thing. Remember, I can't have these people get out of control. If they get out of control, if they riot right here, if I have to kill some of them or they kill some of my soldiers, Man, now I'm in trouble again with Rome. I can't have that, right? So this is a a really tenuous situation uh, for Pilate at this point. So why is it then that Jesus would stay silent? Well, I think hopefully we know. We'll hit the bigger theological implication later. But let's talk about what Isaiah says in Isaiah 53, verse 7. It says, uh, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. All right, so this is prophetic, written hundreds of years earlier about Jesus. And so you've got this this idea that the suffering servant, when he comes to give himself for us, he's not gonna debate, he's not gonna defend, he's just gonna receive what comes 
to him at that moment. Because, I mean, there's a part of me as I read this that I would just love for this, and it just doesn't happen, that you would love for Jesus just to call fire down from heaven, right? I mean, wouldn't that, I don't know, for me, that'd be cool. Or Jesus is like, you know what, I've just had enough. And just people are gone, you know? And he turns to Pilate, any other questions, right? Yeah. I mean, that would just be awesome, but he doesn't do that. Uh, and, and here's, as I'm thinking about that, I'm like, but one day he will. That's gonna be a rough day. But Jesus will forego judgment in that moment so that he can deliver us from ours. So this thing you read about as history here, and this is history, this thing that happened in history, you were in Jesus' mind when he stayed silent. Just think about that for a second. You personally connect with what's happening right here. Their judgment will come later. Later, there will be no escape. Even today, I would say for those of us who get frustrated when it seems like God stays silent, God won't defend himself, like nobody escapes judgment. Everybody's gonna stand before the Lord and the Lord is patient. And we know scripture tells us he's patient because he wants people to turn to follow him. And so he's, he's showing a kindness in that regard. Uh, and I, I don't think God is worried about his reputation. I know he's not worried when people malign his name and talk bad about him. He's like, you know, I'll see you soon. So he's not worried about that. Um, none of us are gonna escape that day, but he does care very much about us. And so this is why Jesus stays silent. Uh, and this is the point now where we're gonna keep going here that for us, this is just nonsense that we're seeing happen here. This is nonsense. Um, okay, starting in verse six now. Now at the feast, the feast of Passover, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. All right, so here's the, they had a tradition. This isn't law, it's just a tradition. Pilate would release for them a prisoner that was condemned to die. Now, I don't know, maybe as a, a leader, a ruler, that sounds good. I mean, I know even our presidents will pardon people who, you know, are in trouble for stuff. Uh, but he would just release somebody to them, and it's a way to kind of keep people happy. Uh, and so now Pilate gets an idea. So as he's thinking about this, he's like, look, I don't, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I don't care about the Jesus guy. But the religious leaders hate him. I can tell they hate him. I suspect, though, that the crowds like him. In fact, that's probably why there's such a big turnout today at my house. And so he's probably thinking this. He's like, what if I offer to the people, I'll give you this guy. And then he's probably thinking, I mean, this is the way I'm, I'm reading the story. The crowds will probably be for him. The leaders will be mad and I'll be able to rile them all up and I'll enjoy it, right? It's just, he's just playing with them at this point. So this is his thought. I will offer Jesus as the one to be substituted for this traditional Passover amnesty. All right, so let's go forward to verse seven. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? All right, so there's some good stuff going on here. Let's talk about it. So as he talks about it, it says here uh, about this, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, just in the insurrection. Now, you may not have thought about this, but Mark says it so casually that whatever, and this, this insurrection is lost on us in history. We don't know which one it is. But for Mark and his readers in the day, it was so well known, he doesn't even explain it. He's talking about during the insurrection, and it's like his crowds would have gone, oh, yeah, the I remember the insurrection. So it's like a big deal to them. In their culture, they, they knew what it was that he talked about. This guy came up uh, called Barabbas. So here he is. Um, the, he, they put him forth. They're like, would you like to do this? And then when he says at the end, um, I'll tell you what, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? Now, Pilate is using the king of the Jews on purpose. 
He doesn't think he's the king of the Jews. He doesn't care about Jesus, but he hates the leaders. And so he keeps using the name that they hate. And so they're like, this guy says he's the king of the Jews. Well, do you want me to release your king back to you? And they're like, he's not our king. The king of the Jews is not your king. He's not our king. You know, like, he's totally toying with them. And I don't want you to miss that because you're missing good comedy going on here as this is going on. So he's going back and forth with them. He's making fun of them. Uh, and they have this thing going on where he's kind of messing this up. All right. Also, by the way, cemented when Jesus is crucified. Because you remember when Jesus is crucified, they put a placard over his head. What does it read? Yeah. He doesn't want them to forget, like, that was his last stab at the Jewish leaders. Um, just let them know this is your king. And, and if you remember the story fully, the leaders come back and go, like, you got to take that sign down. And Pilate's like, make me. You know, and they, they can't, so they don't. Um, so anyway, one of the things, though, that's missing here, and I would think should be here, and you would too, probably. We're not done with the story yet, but where's the crowd support? Like, wasn't Jesus just at the temple with all the crowds following him as he's teaching and combating the religious leaders? And the people were all like, yeah, Jesus, you know, stick them, you know, all this kind of stuff. Where's that support now? And so here's what's going on. You, the situation is very serious because you have a Roman governor. You're surrounded by guards. Like, this is, this is a courtroom setting. This, I mean, it's outdoors, but it's a courtroom setting. I mean, it's very dangerous, and you've got these religious leaders here who, who turned on a man together, and when the religious leaders turned on him, they're going to make sure he gets killed. Now you're there. How vocal are you going to be in your support for Jesus? Well, if they get Jesus killed, who are you? So if you want to know where the silent support is, it's gone. It is just gone. People aren't going to risk it. They're not going to risk their lives. If those religious leaders turn, if you sit out there and go, hey, release Jesus, he's our king, those guys are all going to turn at you, and they go, who is that? That's Phil Pot. All right, we'll get him later. You know, like, you're not going to make it. So that's, that's why they're all dead silent at this point because they realize it's over. Jesus' run is over. This thing's going to come to a head. Verse 10. For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Right? So Pilate knows what's going on. So whatever the Jewish people really want, Pilate's naturally against. Uh, and, but this is not about Jesus. Um, the Jews are claiming Jesus is an enemy of Rome, but Pilate knows the Jews don't care about Rome. They don't, they don't care at all. They're up to something. He knows they're up to something, and they're using him, which he hates. That's why he didn't want to do it. He may be like, I don't know exactly what y'all are up to, but I don't like it because you're trying to get me to do it, and I don't want you to be happy at the end of this day. I want you to be discouraged. I want to win uh, in this. Verse 11. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. So the crowds literally would have a murderer released than to let Jesus live. That's what they, they shout. Now, part of it is you submit to your leadership. Like, you know, these guys could kill you. And so when these religious leaders come up to you and they know you or they know your family and they're like, you better start cheering for Barabbas. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, I, I've got to. Like, my life could be on the line. My family could be on the line. Like, I've, I've got it. So the, all they sway the crowds with their, with their influence. And there is this thing for me as I, as I see the crowds turn on Jesus. There's part of me, that's like, I get it. I get it because I would, you know, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. It's hard for me now to imagine because I've been walking with Jesus for a few years. But we live in a world that just doesn't really value Jesus. A lot of them say they do. But at the end of the day, I don't think they do. And as public opinion turns against the Lord, as public opinion turns against the church, you're going to find yourself tempted to be less vocal you're going to find yourself tempted to turn down your Christianity a notch. And if I could just encourage you, don't do it. Don't let this world sway you. Keep your faith strong. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Stand for what you believe. Because if cancel culture could, 
it would cancel all of us. But if we stand together, we can represent the Lord. And so let us stand together and not be intimidated. But the crowds here, they were intimidated because their lives literally could have been on the line. Um, so here they are. Uh, they're, they're cheering for Barabbas to be released, verse 11. But the chief priest stood up the crowd to have him released for them Barabbas instead. And one thing about Barabbas, we don't know anything about him. He actually might have been a local hero, to be fair. That, that is, if he led an uprising against Rome, and actually it, and he, he was guilty of murder, so he probably killed some Romans. I mean, the crowds probably thought that was awesome. You know, and so he probably is a local hero, and it's like, well, look, the leaders don't like him, and we kind of do like Barabbas, so maybe it wasn't that hard for them to cheer for Barabbas, we don't know. Verse 12, and Pilate again said to them, then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? Okay, now again, the leaders are like, we don't call him the king of the Jews, stop using king of the Jews. He's like, what do you want me to do with this guy you think is the king of the Jews? And they're like, hey, listen, here's what we want you to do, verse 13, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. You know, what is going on? Like, so Pilate, here's Pilate, who doesn't care about Jesus. I mean, he doesn't. He just hates the religious leaders. But at some point, he's like, this dude's innocent. What are you, what are you guys doing here? Why do you want me to kill this guy? What is going on here? And so it's like Pilate is saying to the crowds, he's trying to talk over the leaders now. He's trying to say to the crowds, like, cheer for somebody else. Like, like throw me a bone, people, right? I'm trying to help you here. Help me help you. Uh, let me, let's get this guy off. Like, if you'll turn and go against the leaders here, we can get him off. What do you want me to do? And they shout out, crucify him. So uh, Pilate is really stuck here. Now, here's something else you don't see, uh, but John will record for us. So the leaders realize what's happening. So the leaders, yeah, and there's a big political play going on here. The leaders realize that he's trying to sway the crowds against them. And if he does it, Jesus will get off. So the leaders have a, have a card up their sleeve. They have a way to force Pilate to do what they want him to do. John records for us what they said. John 19, verse 12 says this. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Okay, so this is the Jews' trump card. They're like, hey, listen, we already know you're in trouble with Rome. If you release this man, we're gonna go tell Rome. We're gonna tell them that you allowed somebody who proclaimed himself to be a king to live. What are you gonna do? So it, they threaten him, and Pilate is helpless. He can't do anything. That's the one. That's the one where he's like, okay, fine. I, like, I, I've got to kill him now. This is, this is horrible. So you get to verse 15. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, because now he has to, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Now, we don't want to miss this idea of scourging. It's a horrible, horrible thing, and it's just mentioned by Mark in like one sentence, and he moves on. This scourging is wicked. This is where they take a whip. It's got several lashes that come out off the end of the whip. And at the end of each of the lashes is tied a piece of bone or metal. And you can read in history about what this used to do to people. It, they would whip you with it. It would dig into your flesh. And when they pulled it back, it would rip your flesh open. Like there's many people, history records, that just died from the scourging. And they would end up with exposed flesh and even exposed organs. And so even though they're done with the whipping, they haul them away, they just, with, through blood loss and trauma, people just die. And the fact that Jesus made it through that is, is crazy. But uh, he scourges him and then delivers him to be crucified. So by the time Jesus goes to the cross, he is in horrible, horrible shape. All of this is just a nightmare. 
And so, as I'm looking at this, as you're looking at this, a question I think we could ask, or even a question somebody in the world would ask is, does this make any sense? Like, why, why would God do this? Why would he do this at all? Why would he do this for you or me? Uh, and then another thing is, why would people do it? Like, why would Judas Iscariot turn on Jesus? Why would the crowds turn on Jesus? Like, this doesn't make, this doesn't make sense, does it? And it's at this point, I think, if we're not careful, we can get into a problem of pronouns, is what I would call it, a problem of pronouns. Um, so when you read stuff like this, and you're just aghast at it, at Judas Iscariot, and at the crowds, and all this kind of thing, and you think this, like, how could they do this? How could those people be so evil? We can't imagine how they would do that. And then I would pause and say, have we considered our role in the crucifixion? Like, if you had been there, how likely would you have been to be the one person that stands alone and says, I support Jesus? Probably, probably not many of us, or any. It's much more likely that we would have been shouting, crucify him. So this whole thing that happened to Jesus, it's our fault. Like, you gotta back up a little bit. You gotta go back to the garden, to the rebellion of mankind in the garden. And even if you'd say, well, I, I don't think I would have done that. Have you ever rebelled against Jesus in action or word or thought in your life? Of course you have, over and over again. That's why Jesus had to die. So this whole idea of this thing that happened to Jesus, he chose it, we caused it. It's because of our sin that he did this. And so when we look at this tragedy, it's a tragedy of mankind. But if Jesus doesn't go through this, there is no hope for any of us. Now we're not... We're not yet to the good part. But sometimes I think it's good for us to dwell in the difficult part. Like this actually, this is a good place to pause, to think about what Christ has done on our behalf, what he has suffered for unworthy people. And that is one thing. Whenever I read the word of God, whenever I think about the holiness of God, the, the glory of God, I'm just reminded of my own unworthiness and that Jesus would die for me, that he would die for you. That's crazy. Why would you do that, Lord? I would have been there shouting, crucify him. And yet, Jesus gave his life for me. We're gonna pause right now. I'm gonna ask you, just bow your heads with me a little bit. I just wanna give you a moment here. I want you to just picture the scene as Jesus stays silent and you are on his mind. Lord Jesus, when we think about what you have done, it is just unbelievable that you, being the Son of God, with the power of the universe in your fingertips, and you would submit yourself to evil men so that we could have life. Lord, it was for our sake that you gave your life so that we who put our faith in you could find forgiveness of sin forever. And so Jesus, while we continue to be amazed and, and saddened by these stories, Lord, we're also amazed at your great love for us. Lord, please hear from us afresh this morning that we believe in you. We believe you're the son of God who gave his life on our behalf and we unworthy people respond with thankfulness. Thank you for this moment to be reminded what you did for us, Lord Jesus. In your holy name, amen.